Uh, it's good to see you guys. Uh, if this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to first just welcome you personally, give you a little bit about Redemption Church. We're one church. We meet at multiple locations. And our goal uh, is to make disciples that see that all of life is all for Jesus. Uh, the best way that you can learn more about Redemption Church or be connected in Redemption Church, um, ask any questions, is to take the information card in the seats in front of you. Uh, fill out your name, your email address, any questions you have uh, regarding redemption or ways you want to get connected, maybe in a redemption community, which is our smaller gathering of people who meet in various places and times. Uh, you could fill that out too on the information card, uh, put your name, email address, and then later, um, after the message is done, during our time of response, you have an opportunity to drop that off in the offering boxes, which are located in the back uh, by the doors. Uh, just a few things that I have for announcements. Uh, first, this Friday, this upcoming Friday, September 21st, we're having the dodgeball tournament uh, that will be here in the gym. And so there's, uh, I think there's 20 plus teams that are signed up for the dodgeball tournament. Um, my personal plug in this is if you're not um, playing dodgeball, we want you there, uh, mainly so that we can hang out, um, so we can eat and hang out with one another. It's a community time for us to build and grow in our relationships with one another. It's $3. This Friday from 7 to 9 p.m. And you'll get a burger and hot dog as well as a soda. And so, again, this Friday, 7 to 9 p.m. Um, in the gym here uh, at Redemption Tempe. We look forward to seeing you guys there. Uh, second is... Uh, oh, Tim, Tim Anderson, who's one of our pastors here, um, a few weeks ago told everyone how he was trying to get together uh, a group of people in our church that are 50 and older, um, 50-ish and older-ish, um, he says, uh, to be able to meet. So the eight of you guys who are here, uh, we want to make sure that you have an opportunity to meet with Tim. And that's going to be October 6th. It's a Saturday night from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. here. You'll have some food and a time to hang out, uh, hang out with Tim and just see the vision that he has uh, for the 50-ish and older um, people to, to love us. And this is, a great, this is great for us. And so um, for most of us here who are not that age, just be praying for that because uh, that's something we're looking forward to. We have new people who come and they say, hey, where are these older people that I read about in the Bible? Where are they at? And somewhere, right? We're praying for them. We're praying for them. And so uh, if, if you are in that range, uh, uh, you could stop by the Connect Us on your way out and then sign your name and your email address and you'll get some more information. Lastly, uh, just give you a heads up. Now we're entering into the fall. Um, and what we do normally in the fall is we take an opportunity to take this season to, to not only just be givers and generous with our own church, but to be generous with organizations and things around the city. And so the next several months from now into Christmas, we are going to call upon the church to give in tangible ways. And so uh, beginning next week, we're going to hand out a flyer that will have items of, of non-perishable and food items to bring for the Rio Vista Center. Their food bank uh, in South Phoenix, it's running low, so we're going to bring food for them. We're going to have opportunity also to partner with them for the turkey drive that we do annually. Uh, there's an opportunity for us to partner with ASU, and ASU is a part of a, a wider um, um, partnership to tackle the sex slave and trafficking industry here in Phoenix. And so we will give you more information about what our role and our part will be. Usually it's going to be you guys bringing in time, uh, your time and be able to serve and volunteer um, and bringing in some items that will help the women um, that once they get off the street that will be able to help them um, just even with some of the, the personal hygiene things and whatnot. And so um, in the next month, that'll be October, you'll hear more clarity on that. And then, lastly, when it comes to Advent time, during our time in Advent, we're going to partner with Crisis Pregnancy Center. 
uh, the Crisis Pregnancy Center is starting uh, to build and have their, their center here in Tempe. And so that's something that we want to be a part of. And so, again, you'll hear information about all those things. Just know in your mind, from September to Christmas now, we are going to be asked as a body to give outside of ourselves in tangible ways to serve the broader community around us. So that's all I have for our time of announcements. If you guys have your Bibles, why don't you meet me in First Peter? Uh, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and then one of the guys, one of the gals will be able to get you a copy of the Bible. Just keep your hands raised really high. First um, Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at three verses, 10 through 12, um, and the guys will get you a Bible. As you turn there, um, I think it'd be fitting, because I did it last week, I celebrated when ASU won, so I'm going to lament that they lost last night. So, And, you know, U of A, they won again. So the same thing happened this morning. There's always like these little U of A people coming out, you know? Here's what I know that my Bible says. Blessed are those who mourn now, for theirs is the kingdom. So, whatever. All right, we're going to get into this. First Peter, if you are just joining us, we're in the week two of a 17-week long series of which we're going to be walking through the book of First Peter. I'm just kind of a recap. The book of First Peter was written by Peter. Peter was a disciple of Jesus. This is the same Peter that walked with Jesus, that was rebuked by Jesus. Also the same Peter that was filled with the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and spoke the gospel, preached the gospel, and 3,000 people got saved. He wrote this letter some 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the audience that he wrote the letter to was a a smaller group of Christians, because Christianity at this time was very marginalized. It wasn't a, a, a big group of people, but they were scattered throughout this Asia Minor area, which is modern day Turkey. The issues that they were struggling with was now that they were Christians, they were suffering, um, they were suffering persecution, they had various trials, and Peter now writes this letter to encourage them. Some of the themes that are laced throughout the, the book of 1 Peter is that of suffering and hope, grace that leads to conduct, and, and he, he talks to them, he communicates to this audience as elect exiles, meaning people who are, are resident aliens. They live in a place, and yet they're looking forward to the day in which Christ will restore and renew and bring heaven here to earth. And so not only does he talk to that audience, but we now still live in that particular time as exiles, New Testament exiles, that this is our home, but not yet fully, because Jesus is going to come and restore and renew. I said this last week that this book will prove to us to be a handbook on what it means to be missional or what it means to be a culture of people who are saturated by the gospel, who understands what it means to live in life by character and conduct in Jesus Christ. And so from verses 1 through 12, which we'll wrap up today in 10 through 12, all Peter is doing is talking about the gospel. Peter is talking about salvation, the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. This inheritance that we have that's laid up for us in heaven, how God himself is protecting us. And then now in verses 10 through 12, so this evening, what Peter is doing is is encouraging his readers in the midst of their sufferings, in the midst of their trials, that this. He says, what you are experiencing now, and therefore those of us who are Christians now, what we experience now in the gospel is better than what the prophets had and even better than what the angels had. He talks about two different people here. He talks about the prophets and the angels. The prophets who look forward to the day when the gospel would take root in God's people. And the angels who look down and saying what you're experiencing now in spite of your suffering is better. Meaning there's not a better time to live in the time of God's redemptive historical plan of salvation than now. So those are the two things we're going to look at. That what we have is better than the prophets and also better than the angels. So if you would bow your heads with me before we jump into God's word. Just join with me in prayer and asking God by his Holy Spirit to illuminate the scripture. Heavenly Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for this book. We ask that you would use it to shape us, to convict us, to encourage us. My prayer this evening, Father, is that you would take this gospel, this truth of Jesus Christ, that many of in this room we take for granted, that you would show us, Father, that it is far bigger than we can imagine. That it would be what encourages us, Lord, to worship you. The motivating factor, Lord, of how we work and how we play and how we treat our friends and our spouses. Father, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ tonight, Lord, would penetrate our hearts again and again. For those of us who believe in you already, Lord, that you would humble us, that we would be able to see the awe that the angels saw and have a longing the way that the prophets did. And for those in this room who have never believed upon the gospel, that you, by your spirit, would give them an opportunity to believe for the first time. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the, it would go down as probably one of the greatest sports movie ever. Um, it's the movie called The Sandlot. Have you guys ever seen it? Uh, easily. It, 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 it's an instant classic. I and mean, it came out in 1993. And if you've never seen the movie, you've you got to watch the movie. And it's got great characters in it. But it centers around this young boy whose nickname is Smalls. He moves to Los Angeles in 1962. You know, I know most of us remember what it was like in 1962 in L.A. All right, and so he moves there. And he wants to fit in to these group of guys who just play baseball. These group of kids that play baseball all the time. He's not very good at baseball. But his in is after they lose their ball, he has a ball. And he goes into his stepfather's trophy room and he grabs this ball that has a signature on it and they go and play baseball. He happens to be up at bat, bam, hits a home run, it goes over the fence, and he says, we have to get that ball. I'm like, no, we don't, we can't get it because the beast is on the other side of the fence, right? We can't, we can't go against the beast. And he goes, no, it was signed. And they're like, by who? Some girl. What's her name? Baby Ruth. And they look at him like, you idiot. Like, Baby Ruth is not a girl or a candy bar. Baby Ruth is the best baseball player who's ever played. And so they go crazy. They go, you don't understand how valuable that ball was. You, you got to see the movie. The movie in itself just unplays the rest of the movie. They have a plan and a strategy to try to get this ball back. I mean, you have characters like Benny, Squint, Wendy Peppercorn. I mean, there's just, there's just, just all of these characters in there. But it centers around, we have to get this ball back because you don't under, this, this kid Smalls didn't understand how valuable it was. And in the same way, Peter is trying to explain in a far bigger way um, to the, the, the context, to the, its original audience, and also to us, that what we have in the gospel, we take for granted. What, what we have in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we, we, we just take it for granted. We become Christians. We remember the moment or the time or the season that we believed in Jesus Christ. And the rest of our life, we go, yeah, yeah, the gospel. And even when we, we say every week that we're gospel-centered and outward focused, we go, yeah, yeah, we're just a gospel church. That means it's where I was before I was a Christian. I believed in something, and then I became a Christian, and, and now I moved on to something else. And what Peter now, um, what he does is he closes up this first section before he gets into imperatives, meaning things that we have to do in response to the gospel. He encourages this church by reminding them of how good the gospel is, how big the gospel is. How this story of the gospel has been unfolding since Genesis. And, and how this story pre- just proceeded, proceeded from Adam and went forward all the way to Christ and to heaven. And now the reign of heaven, the reign of Christ by his kingdom has entered into the gospel. And so the two things we'll look at is how, how what we have now in the gospel is better than the prophets. And the second thing that Peter teaches us is that it's better than what the angels had. Look with me in verse 10. It says, concerning this salvation, let me pause here because Peter now is connecting what he's about to say with verse 9. If you look at verse 9 in your Bibles, it says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. So Peter up until now has been talking about salvation. And in verse 9, when it says obtaining, that word again, it's a, it's a perfect present participle, meaning something that has happened in the past, namely the death and resurrection of Jesus, has now secured something in the future, and it's releasing power, and under, our understanding of that is growing. So what Peter is saying is obtaining, that word obtaining is the believer by faith in Jesus Christ is growing more and more and more into the gospel. That they, they, they knew enough of the gospel to become a Christian, and as they walk with Jesus longer, they knew more of the gospel, and they never get past the gospel, they never get beyond the gospel, but they continue to look into the gospel. And Peter now says, concerning the salvation, concerning what the Father, Son, and Spirit have done on your behalf, he says, the prophet who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. A little bit about prophets. Prophets were men who spoke on behalf of God in the Old Testament. Men like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Moses, and so forth. What Peter is saying is, as God began to speak by the Holy Spirit through these prophets, they begin to search and inquire. The, the word search there means they begin to work actively and hard, looking into the scripture, looking into what God was saying, looking into the circumstances, the times in which they lived, and, and asking the question, when is this going to happen? They wanted to know because the grace that was to be ours was something that they did not experience. They wanted to know. You see, prophets didn't have what we have now. Meaning this, they did not have the Holy Spirit constantly dwelling in them. People in the Old Testament didn't have the constant moving and dwelling of the Holy Spirit in them. This is something that Jesus gives to us now. In fact, we'll read about in John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they want him to stay. And he goes, no, I have to go. Trust me, it's better for you. Because when I leave, I, I have to leave. And when I leave, I'm going to send you someone else. I'm going to send you a helper. He's going to teach you everything that I've told you and more. And, and, and so he's saying now, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, those who believe in God, unlike those who believed in God in the Old Testament, we have the fullness of the Spirit living within us. And, and Peter's saying the prophets, they look forward to that. To that grace, the day that which we would see Jesus, we would understand that he bled for us, that he was raised for us. They, they, they didn't understand that. They didn't even know Jesus. They knew that the spirit of Christ in them was talking about something. And so they wanted to know desperately. It was just too good to be true. Now, we can think about things in our own context, things that are too good to be true. When we hear about them, they, they, we want to look into them because it just sounds too good to be true. We have to investigate it, right? Now, there are some things that you get in the mail and, and you know, this is, this is too good to be true. I'm not going to look at it. This can't be real, right? We've all had the letter from our long lost uncle, the Nigerian prince that wants to give us a million dollars, right? We, we've got that. We don't need to look into that. And he goes, there's no way. I can't. Why? Because I'm Korean, right? There's this, I'm like, he's not my uncle, right? But then there are some things, there are some things because of some empirical evidence and because of the magnitude of the truth claims that we have to look into it, that we have to search. Here's what I mean. There's a, there's a friend of mine that I have that we meet quite regularly when we talk about the gospel. He's not a Christian, and so we go back and forth on what he believes, and, um, and he, I talk about what I believe, and, and, and a really, really smart guy, very intellectual, uh, just engaging guy. I love him. We've known, I've known him for 12 years. And what we boiled down to last time we talked was, okay, let me just, let's just get real simple here. If you're right, if he's right, I said, if you're right and Christianity is wrong, 
And my whole life, I've been trying to, not my whole life, um, since I was 22, I've been trying to follow Jesus, and, and I've been trying to live in his ways, and, and at the end of my life, I die? Um, if you're right, oh well, I just die. That's it. No biggie. I don't need to change my life. However, if what the Bible says about Jesus is true, that he created this perfect world, and then we sinned against him, but yet in his love for us, he set out a long plan of redemption, which he's been unfolding and unfolding, how he's going to redeem all of creation in his, in his work, in his life, death, and resurrection, and that all who by faith believe in him will live with him for eternity in a place called the new heavens and new earth, and those who do not believe him shall perish. If that's true, if what the Bible says is true, gosh, you have to change your life tonight. And, and, and the, the, the magnitudes of the claims, the, this, this grace, it's far too big for you to go, ah, you know what, I'll just throw it away. It's like, man, you're, you're too smart. You're too smart of a person. You have to at least investigate. So some of you are, are there, you, you've never believed in Jesus. And the magnitudes of the Bible, they're far, they're far too huge. So you have to investigate. And then for those of us who have believed in Jesus, we should be like the prophets. Um, even though we believed in Jesus and we believe in the gospel, we should go back and search the scriptures and know the scriptures. Because most of us, we enter into the gospel narrative through the gospel of John, maybe the gospel of Mark. And most of us don't know over half of the Bible, which is called the Old Testament. Which the Old Testament, in, now don't get me wrong, the gospel of John is an easy place to enter, in, enter into. And it's a great place, especially if you're a young Christian or not even a Christian yet. Start with the gospel of John and get to know Jesus. But you have to understand how we got there from Genesis all the way to Revelation and what God is doing. Because what it will do, it will give you an, a greater appreciation of this grace that we have in Christ Jesus. It's the appreciation that, that the prophets had when they looked forward to it. They, they wanted to see. They wanted to know because they didn't have, and they knew that they would not have what we have. P- Peter goes on talking about the prophets and how what we have is better in verse 11. He says, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So now that they had searched, they said, okay, now we want to know. Who and when? We want to know who's going to do this, who's going to suffer, and what are the subsequent glories. And so the two things I want to look at now is the sufferings of Christ that were predicted and the subsequent glories. Because that's what the prophets were looking forward to. They, they didn't know. They were just talking. And, and so if you hold your place here in First Peter and turn to Isaiah 53 to the left. I'll give you some time to turn there. Isaiah chapter 53. This is the prophet Isaiah speaking on behalf of the sufferings of Christ. All right, as you continue to turn there, I just want you to hold your spot there. And I'm going to go to a few places, but I want you to land there. The first place I'm going to go to is talking about this ideal of God's suffering, that Jesus would suffer. This was something that was not an afterthought. Peter is talking to his audience and letting his audience know of suffering people that suffering was a part of God's plan even from eternity past. Meaning in Revelation, when the Apostle of John is speaking, Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world and the, and the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Now, here's what the apostle John is talking about. He's talking about people who will worship the beast, those who would never believe in Jesus, whose names are not written in the book. And being written in the book means those who would believe in Jesus. But what he talks about is this lamb that was slain before the foundation of this world. 
Meaning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before they even decided to create, knew that the means in which he would unite his people with him was that there would be suffering. That's eternity past. Well, then, hold your spot, Isaiah 53, you go to Genesis chapter 3, and what we have is the, the first teaching, the, the, just the embryonic teaching of the gospel. In Genesis chapter 3, what we happen in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, everything's good. God creates everything, the sun, the moon. He creates man and woman. They're having a great time. There's fruit, there's trees, there's porcupines. Everything's great, right? Then, in Genesis chapter 3, man and woman, they sin against God. And God now comes, confronts them, and he gives them their curse. And then he gives a curse to the serpent, representing of Satan. And here's what he says in Genesis 3.15, talking to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Here's what's happening there. Um, the, when Moses now, who writes Genesis, now is talking about what God is saying. And what God is saying is, there will be a man who will come. Satan will bruise his heel, but ultimately he will crush his head. That now the rest of the Bible is unfolding what God said here in Genesis 3.15. Who would this man be? And what do you mean about this bruising of the heel? Now we understand what the prophets didn't know. That the man would be God himself. That he would be impeccable. That he would be sinless. Because when you look through the Old Testament, you see that God chooses Abraham, then God, God chooses Isaac, he chooses Jacob, he chooses David. And at the very end of the story in the Old Testament, we see that no one can get what was lost in, in Eden. No one can get what was lost in the garden. It's only going to take God himself to come down. And that's how we have the Christmas story. That we see that God himself now becomes that, that seed, a virgin birth that comes into this world. And on the cross, he himself is stricken by Satan. But what Satan does not know is that that was God's plan from before the foundation of this world. That Jesus Christ would suffer. And in suffering on the cross through his resurrection, that he would ultimately crush the head of Satan. And every single thing that came undone in the garden. Evil, decay, murder, death. All those things in and through the work of Jesus Christ will be no more. We, we, we see the prophets pointing towards, hoping, when is this going to happen? Who is this going to happen? And probably now in Isaiah 53, the most famous passage of a prophet talking about the sufferings of Jesus. Here's what Isaiah, Isaiah says. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Peter first says, they wanted to know, the prophets wanted to know, Isaiah wanted to know, as he was writing that, and as he was speaking, who's going to do this? And when is he going to do this? What he's telling his people is, we know more about Isaiah 53 than Isaiah did. Isaiah didn't know that. Isaiah was just writing what the Spirit of Christ was telling him. Peter was trying to tell the people um, now in Asia Minor, and he's telling us here in Tempe, is, don't you realize you got to get to know your Old Testament? Because now, because of the Holy Spirit, because of what we know through the gospel, we know more about what they wrote than they did. 
And we can experience because we can look. As soon as we hear that, that he was stricken for us, that he was born on earth, we know that's Jesus. Jesus carried my sins. Jesus carried your sins and all who would believe in him. This, this, this is what was unfolding. This is what the prophets were longing to see. This is something that we have. And, and Peter just doesn't stop with, with the sufferings, but he says also the subsequent glories. And that word glories there is plural, meaning it was more than just his death and it was more than his resurrection. It was even more than his ascension. But what it speaks to is the kingdom of God. When Jesus came on the scene in Mark chapter 1, he says, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Every single Israelite would have known what the kingdom of God meant. The kingdom of God meant that that was the new age in which the spirit would enter in and that renewal would happen. And Jesus himself brought the kingdom of God, that those now who in repentance and faith believe in him have the spirit indwelling in him now. So those in this room that believe in Jesus, the kingdom of God has come by repentance and faith in Jesus, that he's given us the spirit. And that we grow in this understanding and knowledge of the kingdom of God by repentance and faith, by trusting in the spirit. The subsequent glories that we read about when we read the prophets, when we read Zechariah, when we read Daniel, when we read Joel, when we hear Ezekiel and Jeremiah, what they speak to is how God is going to redeem, how he's going to restore, and how he's going to bring all nations and tribes to himself. Meaning that the gospel in itself was far bigger than an invitation to believe in Jesus and have a personal relationship. Nothing less than that, but far more encompassing than that. That God was going to do a work um, in response to the suffering of this particular person who we know to be Jesus Christ, God himself, and was going to restore and renew all that was lost in Genesis. All that was lost in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. Peter says that you need to understand how good this gospel is. You need to understand how, how this story was an unfolding story. And, and that this story, it continued to move and unpack and now we have the fullness of it. The fullness of it so we can understand the glories and the subsequent glories that we have in christ jesus and mainly that the subsequent glories that we can experience now is the holy spirit i said it before the people of the old testament as much as we love them as much as we love ruth and esther and daniel and shadrach and meshach and abednego as much as we love them what we have now is far better than what they had what peter's trying to communicate is this is the best time in the redemptive history the age of the church is the best time and what's hard for us is we go kind of like smalls. Ah, it's, just, it's just the gospel. What do you mean? I believe in the gospel. How, how, could it be, how could it be the best thing? Well, Peter now transitions from saying, okay, maybe if you don't get it from the prophet's perspective, maybe you can think about the angel's perspective. Because maybe, maybe the prophets you don't get. Maybe you don't understand the prophets. Maybe you don't understand the Old Testament. But what, what about the angels? And he continues in, in verse 12. First, um, wrapping up about the prophets, he says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. I mean, he wraps with the prophets in this way. The prophets, after searching, after inquiring, they realize we're not going to get a chance. I don't know if you guys ever had that before in your family, especially if you're the younger or the oldest sibling. Uh, you, you know that you, you go through some things and then your younger brother, your younger sister, they don't have to go through it, right? It's just way better for them. I was the youngest of three. My sister had a curfew of nine. My brother had a curfew of ten. I don't think my mom knows that I'm gone, right? I mean, I mean, it was like, at, after that, it was like, I had the free reign, and I knew it, and I took advantage of it, right? It was good, right? There's, there's just a sense where you go, I'm not going to experience what they experience. The, the, the prophets go, we're not going to experience this. In fact, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that all these, they look forward to it, but they died. They died. 
but they realized that they were serving us. They knew what we need to do now is going to serve the people that are before us. What we need to do now and writing these things down and speaking of these, one day we'll be a part of the story, but we won't experience what they experience. Now Peter transitions into the angels. And he says this, In the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit from heaven, things into which angels long to look. When I first began to read the book First Peter several years ago, um, this weird, obscure verse just shocked me. Mainly because I was understanding that Peter was talking about salvation. I understand that I was a Christian. I shared the gospel with people. Um, I, I looked at the gospel only as I'm a sinner. God is holy. I need Jesus. You need Jesus. The only way for salvation is Jesus. Check it out. You're a sinner. God's holy. There's this big gap. Bam! The cross is there. The way to Jesus. It was just kind of like the presentation of the gospel. Um, and to me, that was it about the gospel. That's all I need. I can have a personal relationship with Jesus. And one day he's going to come and I'm going to live him with him for eternity. I had no idea what that meant. I went to church. Someone says we're going to be worshiping him all the time. And worshiping meant that we're going to be singing. I'm like, that's going to be boring, right? And, and then, and I continued to just look through the scripture and try to understand about this gospel. And when I came to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, the things in which angels long to look. For whatever reason, that, that caught me. Because one thing about the prophets, I, I get it. They're sinners, right? They're sinners. They, they want to know when the grace is going to be revealed. They look forward to something that we have. They look forward to what God would do by faith. But the angels aren't sinners. I mean, there was a third of the angels that sinned against God, and they themselves will never receive grace. They're called demons. But the rest of the angels, they, they're sinless, and so they don't need grace. Why is it that they're longing to look into this gospel? Meaning maybe there's something about the, the gospel that I don't know. Maybe there's something about the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ that I, I really don't understand. And, and Peter says the, these things, talking about the suffering and the subsequent glories, meaning the fullness of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation, um, the fullness of what God is doing and drawing all people to himself. It says these things have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit of heaven. First, when it comes to the gospel. The gospel in itself has to be preached. The assumption here, when Peter talks to this audience, he's talking to Christians. It's not an evangelistic outreach. Um, he's not, I'm going to write this letter because I know that there's going to be a lot of people in the room that don't know Jesus and I can tell them for the first time about the gospel. No, he talks to Christians, people who already believed in the gospel. He points to the prophets and he points to the angels. But then he says, to those who preach the good news to you, to those who announce the good news to you, it means to herald, meaning they spoke the good news to you. It was good news by the Holy Spirit. Here's what Peter is saying. It is not about the messenger. It's all about the message. Meaning, it's not about you and I and our ability to communicate the gospel. It's about the gospel. Meaning, Peter, Paul says this in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel in itself is the very power of God to salvation for the Jew and for the Gentile. And the Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. And so what he's saying is for all people. It's the very power. I don't know if you ever had that experience. For me, I... I, I like to fancy myself in his evangelist. I love talking to people about Jesus. And when I became a Christian, I used to talk to everybody. And I thought it was always about me. God, what's wrong? I'd share the gospel with someone. They'd look at me and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'd share it again. I, I got to change it. I, not change the gospel. Change the way that I, that, that I talked about the gospel. I didn't get it. And this, this is the encouragement here. One, it's not about you. The responsibility we have is just to talk about it. To share good news. And we have to share it at good news, which is what I'm going to get to in a second. But it's, it's the spirit speaking through us. It's the spirit from heaven. And what Peter is encouraging his people here is that we need to be preaching the gospel 
And it's the gospel in itself that encourages us as we preach and as we hear the gospel. And the power comes from the spirit from heaven. Now, the the illusion here that Peter is talking about is Acts chapter 2. Um, we said before that the Spirit of Christ did not dwell permanently in the believers of God in the Old Testament. It wasn't until Acts chapter 2, and if you've never read Acts chapter 2, read Acts. In fact, read the Gospel of Luke and then the whole book of Acts. It'll rock your world. And then you'll come back here next week speaking in tongues and all types of other stuff. It's really fun. Um, they're, 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 they're after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. I mean, he's talking to his disciples before he ascended. He said, before he ascended to heaven, he goes, stay here and the Spirit will come upon you. And so he goes up in the heaven, they look at him, the angels say, what are you doing looking up? Just hang here for a while. And then the spirit came down. And in Acts chapter 2, it says they begin to speak in different languages. And they begin to hear the gospel in their native tongue. And, and it, was, it was so powerful that it moved them so much, they could not stand still. They were moving around. My guess, they were acting really crazy because the men and women around them go, are these men drunk? And Peter goes, no, 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 it's only like 3 o'clock. They get drunk later, right? He goes, no, they're, 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 not, they're not drunk. It's just the spirit of Christ that you see. And Peter begins to preach and 3,000 get saved. Meaning this is what happens in the power of the spirit. This encourages God's people because it's not about us. It's completely about the power of God, the power of the gospel, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we should speak. The encouragement is, um, in fact, the imperative is, we have to speak it. There's, there's that quote that people love to, to quote by Francis Assisi, which no one really knows if he said this. Um, and it says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Now, I get the heart, and I get the spirit behind that. You have to have conduct. There has to be uh, Christian ethics in response to the gospel. In fact, we're going to spend the next 15 weeks talking about that. However, you cannot preach the gospel without using words. You cannot preach the gospel without explicitly talking about Jesus Christ and what he's done on our behalf. So you, you have to preach it. And what Peter is saying is they preach to you good news. Good news. The gospel in itself is good news. I, I, I'm convinced in meeting with many people who are coming back to church for the first time in years and also meeting with people who've been in church for a few years who are starting to get the gospel is most of us have not really understood good news. We've, we've, we've preached and we've understood good advice. And we haven't known the difference between good news and good advice. Here's what I mean. Good advice is something that you have to do and if you do it and it works, then you say it's good. It's something that has, that has not happened yet. And it's completely up to you if you can take this particular advice and do it. And then you will reap the rewards of it being good advice. On the other hand, good news is something that has already happened. It's something that has happened and now all we can do is respond to it. Um, it's good news to us. We say it's good news. It's something that has happened that we can respond to. Those are the difference. Uh, another, another way to think through it is, is that what we do, if we're not careful and sharing good advice, is we take things that are really good advice. We take the imperatives of scripture. We take the things like don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder. It's a really good idea not to do that. And we tell people, I'm glad that, hear your testimonies. You get people on stage and you say, hey, share your testimony. I want to hear your story. You got a crazy story, right? And you say, hey, I used to do drugs. I used to beat people up. I shot a few people. No one knows about it. Don't tell anybody. And then, and then and I became a Christian. I don't do drugs anymore. I haven't shot anybody anymore. Jesus loves me. We all clap and go, wow, that was amazing. And, and it is amazing. But what we just heard is, here's what the gospel does. The gospel says, don't do bad things, but do good things. And that's not good news. That, that's, that's not good news. Um, what we 
often do is that's what we try to do to people. We say this a lot here is that at best is behavior modification that can change the externals, but it does nothing to the internals. And here's what it's produced over years. It's produced two different types of people. Um, some people have become absolute legalists, very religious. And I say that in the negative sense, very religious people who are able to obey essentially all the imperatives that can obey it without any heart transformation. And what's dangerous about this is you have someone who really gets the gospel and obeys out of sheer gratitude and delight. And you have someone who doesn't get the gospel and does the exact same thing. So on paper, you can't even tell the difference. It's really hard. And so you have people who, who are not getting the gospel, but they've heard good advice. They've heard be good. They've heard be a good person. They've heard God doesn't like it when you do this, so do this instead. And they give, they tithe, they serve, they show up every week, they lead communities. And yet, yet they're, they're just they're people that are good advice people. On the flip side, there's, there's, on, the, on that, there's people who become legalistic. And there's also people who just become licentious. Many of us know this. This was me. You grow up and you hear you can't have sex, you can't drink, you can't chew, which for me, I didn't want to chew anyway, so I was like, all right, cool, I could be Christian that time, right? <laughs> you, 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 can't do, you can't do these things, and then you realize how many times you failed in those things, you go, well, that's not for me, and you walk away. You walk away, and you live as if there is no God, and you walk away from what you thought was the gospel, and you didn't really walk away from the gospel, you walked away from good advice, You see, Tim Keller says it best this way. He says, every other religion is essentially facts that are sprinkled with stories only to illustrate the facts. Whereas that biblical Christianity is one story. And it has facts. It has things you should do. Turn the other cheek. Those are all good things. He goes, but all those things, um, obeying the Ten Commandments, all those things are meaningless unless the story is true. Unless Jesus really did live a perfect life and die a death for us. Unless Jesus really did get out of the tomb and ascend to heaven and give us the Holy Spirit. That's the story. And he says, if the story is not true, then the facts don't mean anything. Um, ultimately, good news in itself is a decisive victory that has happened in the past that we get to respond to as good news. Peter is now is encouraging his, his readers who are exiles. And many of them Jewish people who would have understand the original context of exiles. Good news and even the language of good news is not something that's just new to the Old Testament. In fact, as we looked at in Genesis 3.15, good news has been something that God has been unfolding and sharing through from Genesis to Revelation. Good news for the exiles, the original exiles, it came to them in that, that Hebrew word basar, which means good news. Something has been announced. We can read about it in Samuel, 2 Samuel, when, when um, one of the young men runs back and proclaims to David of a victory that Joab had over Absalom, and it was good news. In Isaiah chapter 52, in fact, Isaiah chapter 52 is Isaiah writing to the exiles. And what he says in that moment in Isaiah 52 is he talks about a man who runs now and he will be on a mountaintop and will proclaim good news. And the good news were, he gives us an opportunity to use our imagination, not only to the original exiles, but to those of us who are exiles now, is that they were in a land that was not their land. We read about in Daniel that Daniel looked east and he prayed to Jerusalem every day and they wondered, when is God going to rescue us? He said he would rescue. When is it? And finally, there's a man who comes, he runs feet, and it says, blessed is the feet of those who bring good news. Paul takes this same verse and uses it in Romans chapter 10 when he's talking about sharing the gospel. And the good news was that God reigns, that we are forgiven, and that there will be peace. And it was good news. These are the prophets looking, oh, this is good news. And now the, the, the fullness of the gospel is the good news that there's, there has been a decisive victory. 
Jesus Christ has come and he's brought the kingdom. God does reign. Jesus Christ comes and he died on the cross. God does forgive. Jesus Christ has promised now to renew and restore all things. There will be peace. There will be shalom. This, this is really good news. And so the imperatives, things that we're supposed to do, that we're going to get to the next 15 weeks, they all flow out of in response to and in connection with us responding to God, God's good news. Amen? So we have to be very careful when we talk about the gospel as what Jesus has done, not what we have to do. The gospel is what Christ has done on our behalf, and now we, in response to show our gratitude to him, we live in the ways that he's given for us. And let me close with this, this last part about the angels, that, that we have, what we have in this gospel is better than the angels. It says, the angels long to look. Um, angels, perfect. It says that they're looking down on what we have, and they're going, wow, that's really good. And more than that, that word long, some of you are going to get uncomfortable with this because we're talking about angels, but um, the word long means, it's the Greek word epithemia, which means uh, a strong desire. It's where we get the word lust from, meaning the angels are looking down at this unfolding story and they're, they're lusting over it. They, 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 it's, it's obs- they're obsessed with it. They're obsessed with the fact that you as a sinner sins over and over again and yet God has completely forgiven you. Remember, they saw a third of their friends sin and get casted out. And they're going, these men and women sin over and over and over again. And yet God completely embraces them. This is amazing. That, that, that word that says that the, the angels are longing to look. It says that almost from an outside perspective, they're, they're peeping in. They're, just, they're trying to look over like, get out the way, angel. Right? And they're trying, to, they're trying to look into it. Right? Well, one of the things that I get to do this football season is being the chaplain at ASU. It's one of the best things in the world for me. Um, is because... Um, I get to be on the sideline. I have no responsibilities on the sideline. They give me a shirt and a pitchfork. I look so official and I'm not. And so the, the, the best part about that is I've been around football. I've been around football my entire life. I've seen it. And yet I never get sick of it. Um, they huddle up and they huddle up on the sideline. And I just come over there and I kind of look in, hoping that the coach would ask me, what are you doing? Are you a coach? No. But I did stay in a Holiday Inn last night. So if you need anything from me, that, that would be great, right? There's, there's, there, every time there's a play, this is no joke. Every time there's a play, I'm just looking down the side. Like, I just want to get in. I'm, I'm an outsider. Literally, they gave me a shirt. And somehow I made it official. The, the angels, when it says to look, it's from an outside perspective. And, and even though they've seen it over and over again, they don't get sick of it. You see, the angels in themselves are not all-knowing. They're not. So they've been watching Genesis unfold. They, they saw God create. They, they, they saw um, man sin against God. And they saw God make a promise. They saw him choose Abraham. They saw Abraham's failures and God still keep his covenant. They saw David and they saw David fail and God keep his covenant. They saw the exiles get removed and God bring them back. And then they saw Jesus become a baby. And they, they, they witnessed as it happened in real time, Jesus become this man. Jesus go to the cross to bear our sins. And now they're going, remember Isaiah said this? This is happening now. And they're looking at it. They saw you when you became a Christian. And Jesus says that when you became a Christian, or maybe today when you become a Christian and believing in Jesus, it says that the angels, they celebrate, they dance. So the picture is, is angels in heaven watching one of you become Christians and they're, they're chest bumping each other. They're excited. They're not chest bumping. They're wing bumping each other and they're, they're really excited. I don't know how they do it. They do it though. And there's, there's just a, a great deal of, we can't get enough of this. Now, I think what Peter is trying to get us to walk away with is, if the prophets longed for it, and the angels longed for it, what we have in the gospel is surrounded by longing. The the question we have to ask ourselves is, 
Are we obsessed with the gospel? Do we long for it? Is it something that motivates us? Is it, or is it something, that, something that's distant in the past that we're thankful for, but we're trying to move on to something else? If there's anything that we learn from the prophets, anything that we're learning now from the angels, it's don't get past the gospel. If you think you get the gospel, you really don't get it. If you're a Christian and you say, you know what, I really don't get the gospel, you're just starting to get it. And it's something that the deeper you walk with the Lord, the more you search in the scriptures, the more you understand what God is doing. Here's, here's what I love about this. Peter talks about the prophets and he talks about the angel, but the most obscure person in this passage, the most obscure person in the Trinity is the Holy Spirit and his work. It's the Holy Spirit who speaks to the prophets. It's the Holy Spirit who, who, who evangelizes through us. It's the Holy Spirit who has been taking everything that God promised in the Old Testament and makes it real for us. It's the Holy Spirit who no longer now um, speaks and whispers through the prophets, but the Holy Spirit reminds us in Christ Jesus that we were justified, that we were made right. The gospel makes us right before God, that we stand now against a just judge, not as guilty, but we've been cleansed. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we're saved. Meaning the wrath and the penalty that we deserve because of our sin that Jesus himself took on the cross. Jesus did the work, but the Holy Spirit applies it to our hearts. Not only are we just saved, but the Holy Spirit lets us know that we are redeemed. That we were purchased now, um, purchased back to, to God by the work of Christ. That we know that sin no longer has dominion over us. The Holy Spirit lets the believer know that they've been reconciled. That we were once enemies, enemies, enemies with God, and now we are made one with him. The Holy Spirit lets us know that we are not just innocent before the just judge, but the just judge has now become our father and we are adopted into a family. And meaning that we now have the inheritance and the privilege of the firstborn, the firstborn son, whether we are women or men, that we have that inheritance in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we've been made alive, that we're now dead to sin and alive to righteousness. All of that, all of that, Peter is saying, it's better than what the prophets had. It's the very thing that the angels longed for too. So what for us is, Lord, give us a deeper understanding of this gospel. Because it's the only thing that will sustain us during our time of exile. It's the only thing that we can preach that men and women may be saved. And it's the very thing that gives us hope for the day in which Jesus will return. Amen? Let's pray.